read together with you from uh, the Gospel of John. Picture of uh, Jesus um, having met the disciples after his resurrection. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at uh, for a few minutes together. But let's read it together first, the whole chapter. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who'd reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned round and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. And Jesus turned, said to her, Mary, and she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary went, Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. This changes everything. It's a brilliant passage. It's interesting that the stories that John chooses to tell, the running to the tomb, that initial sort of confusion and uncertainty, because what has happened is they've gone to the tomb knowing like everybody knows, dead people don't rise from the dead. So to get to the tomb and then realize, actually, whatever's gone on here is really weird. And John tells you in brackets, because they didn't really understand that he had to rise from the dead. 
there's an authentic mixture of belief and confusion when Mary thinks that she's speaking to a gardener who might have taken Jesus's body away because she's come to pay respects to him to I don't know just be close to him I guess some of you understand what that means and feels like when you've lost someone and you go to the you go to the grave and and you know they're not really there but you just want to be close this mixture of belief confusion trying to work out what was happening among them and then at the end of that day that first day they're all together locked doors because they're frightened of what might happen next and jesus comes I don't know um, what you, how you felt about the, the midweek musings we've, we've sent out. If, you, um, if you're on our mailing list, then you'll, you'll receive them. And if you're not, then please, uh, on our website, go and sign up and we'll gladly send you a midweek newsletter. And there's lots of bits and bobs in it. But one of the things that I've enjoyed doing most, and I think is in a sense the best bit of the newsletter, if I'm honest, has been the interviews. And what we've done is we've just taken people almost completely at random, to be honest, from the church and just had the chance to listen to them talk about their work talk about their lives and talk about faith and talk about how and when faith became real for them when did um, their understanding about christianity sort of slip from head to heart to include their hearts so it became owned by them when did they recognize that god was there for them when did they recognize the truth of jesus and what's really interesting listening to these stories told in miniature but told really well is that you can't replicate them they're all different but there's a sense that something happens that allows you to see the world in a new way it's more than psychological it happens from outside of them and suddenly everything changes it changes everything as it did on this first sunday this Easter Sunday, when Jesus met with these disciples, just four things very quickly to say. First, he proves that he's alive. I think it would be easy to dismiss the resurrection stories as just sort of longed for hopes that had been pinned upon Jesus. You know, this idea of, well, maybe he didn't die after all. Maybe he lives just within our hearts. Maybe it's enough to have a sense of his presence. And the gospel writers will have none of it. They say, no, 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 no. When Jesus came, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. He made proof that he was alive. This is no mystical resurrection. This is flesh and blood raised to life again. This is not a trick with bones, but it is the re, re <laughs> coming back this revivification, if you like, this resurrection life. And the early Christians were in no doubt that actually if this doesn't happen, if this isn't true, then actually our faith is in vain. Jesus comes and he gives them proof of life. Look at my hands, look at my side, and yet here I am alive. Give me something to eat and I'll eat it with you. Look at this glorified body that still bears the scars of everything that happened it kind of makes you wonder whether when we have our resurrected bodies whether actually we'll still bear scars but they won't be painful anymore 
but we'll still carry the scar of what happened, but now it'll be glorified, just as it was for Jesus. The second thing Jesus does is he comes, and in the midst of him, he simply says, peace. And in Aramaic or Hebrew, it would be shalom. This isn't sort of like just a piece of, um, that says, oh, I hope you're doing okay. This is shalom. This is everything put back in order again. This is the fullness of life being made right again. This is the resurrection that makes sense of life. Jesus was raised from the dead and puts everything back in order. And he still does for us. And then he sends them out. He says, just as the Father sends me, has sent me, so I send you. Can you go? Will you go? And will you tell people this basic message that Rome doesn't have the final word? That no matter who's in charge, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how strong they may look, they don't get the final word. Will you go out and tell people that when people are fearful, like the Jewish leaders were fearful, and that's why they handed Jesus over, that fear doesn't get to determine the future. Will you go and tell people that death doesn't have the final word? Will you go and will you live and speak differently? And you're going to need help. And he breathes on them and says, receive my spirit, receive my life so that you can do that. This week, we've probably been more aware of death than at any other time in our lives. Normally what happens is that people die who are close to you. And of course, that's massive. It, it, cha it changes everything. It's, you grieve and uh, you mourn. And people, your friends and your family are close to you and they're will give you peace and they'll, they'll try and help. But a few days and it'll pass. But this week and these weeks, we're conscious of it as a nation because every night at five o'clock, they come and they announce how many people have died. And at six o'clock, they tell us again on the news. And I don't know about you, but for this week, it's come a little closer. So this week, there's people I know who've died and um, maybe when we knew that the prime minister really wasn't very well at all, and it looks like he was really seriously ill, then somehow death comes a little closer. Normally we're shielded. What do we say as Christians? To those who have died, to those people that I knew who were in their blokes in their fifties who died this week, we say two things. Firstly, that actually death doesn't get the final word. It looks like a tragedy, and it is a tragedy if all our hopes are only for this life. But actually, because of the resurrection, we believe in eternal life. We believe that not only when you die will you go to be with the Lord, but actually we wait for the end of all of this when Christ returns and we too share a resurrected body. Let me put it really bluntly. When you die, when you die knowing the Lord, you go to be with him. You are safe for eternity. You are held. You are loved. How do you know? Because Christ rose from the dead. And that gives you a remarkable ability to live well now. It's possible to actually live 
confidently, without fear. For what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen, humanly speaking, is you go and be with the Lord. Once death has been defanged, what is the worst that can happen to you? Christians all over the world believe this to be true. And in the West, for us, this is the first time that we've had to come so close to death as a nation. But there are a lot of Christians around the world who go, Do you know what? The thing that keeps me going is the fact that I know if I die, I go to be with him. And the resurrection power of Jesus says to those who are alive, we are confident and able to say to whoever will listen, there's hope, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's life. And we're actually determined to live that life out. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. It's the fundamental thing that allows us to live carefree and hopeful. I'm going to play us another song. And after that, we're going to try something that really might not work. What we're going to try after we've listened to the song is I'm going to give you opportunity to pray. Now, to pray on behalf of us all, not all of you. That's not going to work and not all at the same time. But I'm going to invite some of you and not by name, but essentially you're going to invite yourself. To pray on behalf of us all. It's almost like because Christ has risen, what would you want to pray? Because Christ has risen, what would you want to say to him? Because Christ has risen, what's the best prayer this morning that you can pray that we in our separated homes can go, yes, amen.